0: Hello, and welcome to This One Good Life podcast, where we slow down and explore the beauty and goodness that surrounds us every day. My name is Stephen Ingram. And I am Bryant Johnson, and we are so glad that you're able to join us today. On today's
1: episode, we are slowing down to explore the idea and practice of changing your mind. Uh, That's our goal. We want to change your mind about whatever (laughs) it is you're thinking about right now. Uh, we're going to convince you this is a good podcast. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. Um, the how, how to go about that and the challenges that exist. Um, changing our minds on topics um, yeah. is difficult. Uh, in fact, um, we, I think similarly uh, to last week, Stephen, um, if we try to change someone else's
0: mind, yeah, we yeah. know how difficult it is. That's right. right. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> Well, I, you know, I heard somebody say one time uh, that the key one of the keys to happiness is never assuming that you can change anyone's mind. Right. <laughs> and, you know, for folks who, who care deeply about something, that can, that can be a very deflating statement. <laughs> if you care deeply about something, you want other people to care about it or or to have the same opinion. It, it can that can feel pretty, pretty sad. Um, but there is this there is this thing about uh, about. Um, our ability or inability to to make people think differently right yeah yeah who is who is the greek god that's always
1: uh, pushing the ball up the hill yeah um uh, i don't remember uh somebody will look it up but yeah it, trying to convince somebody to, to change their mind is uh to me always feels like that um they're pushing the ball up the hill we get so so close, or maybe not yeah. even so close, before it uh, topples back down Sisi- on Sisyphus. top of us. Sisyphus, there we go. Yep, yep, Sisyphus. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's hard, and there's so many reasons why yeah. it's difficult uh, to change our mind or change how we think about something. Um, yeah. You know, for one, we have to be convinced that this new idea is even true.
0: Yeah, yep, yeah, that's right. Yeah, There. there's... Um, <clears throat> Gosh, should we jump straight in? I've, I've got I've got some science here, man. Should we jump into the science? That's a rough way to start, but let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's well. I mean that that's the that's the thing with this, right? I mean, it's it's so difficult. You, you, it's hard to even talk about in an anecdotal kind of way. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um. Because, and 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 the older we get, maybe this is a place to start. The older we get. The more difficult it is for our minds to change.
1: Yeah. Let's, and let's start there. Um,
0: There's a thing called the default mode
1: network, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Um, Which kind of forms around, uh, you know, it forms as we grow and it it only gets stronger, but usually around about five, six years old. um, The default mode network is uh, the pathways of decision making in your brain are being um, created. Yeah. Um, If you think about it, like ruts in a, a dirt path or mm-hmm. or maybe on a, like a snowy hill right
0: mm-hmm.
1: um the more we go over that same pathway the deeper the ruts get and this is essentially yeah. what's happening in our brains yeah. um the more we make a, a that decision that we make a similar decision that we make another decision based on the same understanding those pathways um create these deep kind of grooves um within our brain and and that's called the default mode network so as as we get older the deeper those ruts go um, the quicker we are to make decisions, yeah, because of that. Um, sometimes that's good; that moves us to, um, you know, to the next step on something um, really yep. quickly. We have an understanding, a reason why we do that. It also um, creates such such an ingrained way of decision making on our lives mm-hmm. um, that a lot of decisions we're not thinking about, we're not considering, um, and it actually begins to eliminate um, the ability to think of new solutions or new ideas or new ways to come to a decision so much so that change literally changing our mind, um, requires, uh,
0: re, um, recreating those, those grooves, if you will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an evolutionary, it's an evolutionary tool, right? we, We shouldn't have to, uh, sit and make a cognitive decision every time we, um, uh, every time we turn out of our driveway, right? We shouldn't have to make a cognitive decision, and think, okay, what what is going to be my best way to back out of this driveway? I got I to relearn this thing every time. So it's evolutionary. It helps us be more efficient. Um, you were talking about the ruts and the snow. Have, uh, um, I love to travel. And one of my favorite um, things to do when I travel, uh, especially overseas, is when I'm in old Roman cities, um that have the old cobblestone um uh promenades, right? The 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 giant, you know, it goes through all the the, the major Roman cities and their uh they their columns and uh it's just absolutely gorgeous. But one of the things I noticed my very first time in one of these cities, um <clears throat> you have the, you have the old, you know, cobblestone is like 2,000 years old. But if you look in the middle of it, there are well-defined oh, yeah. four to five inch grooves down the middle of it. They have just been worn by, by carts essentially for thousands of years. And, and these are well-worn grooves in the stone. And that's, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, um, uh, when you're talking about those pathways, right. That's, that is, that, that's what I think about because in mud or snow, we can, we can move those pretty easily, but man, when it's, when it's in stone, that's the way our brains do. They, they, they kind of lock it in, um, Kind of and. the
1: the worst thing about East Coast skiing is when the uh, the snow freezes. It's <laughs> it man. right that's because it. Yep. you get your ski caught in a groove. Mm-hmm. You're, <laughs> you go head first. <laughs> you're not getting out of it. Nope. I, I think my worst falls have been because of that.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. East, yes. That, that's that's exactly right. So I mean, so we lock these things in, and and again, that's not an inherently bad thing. That, that, that has um, given us the ability to, to grow and to evolve and to be way more efficient. The, the problem is um, that, that mechanism that locks those things in place, um, it doesn't have a discerning quality, right? That mechanism doesn't discern, oh, this is something that's a bias that I shouldn't lock into place, or this is something that's going to help me evolve and grow and turn on my driveway without having to relearn that every time. Right, it, it, it doesn't have any kind of discernment ability. And so as we get older, everything locks into place. Right. Our biases as well as those things that are evolutionarily helpful um, to us. Um, I kind of liken it to, to a, 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 a Jenga tower. You know, you know the game Jenga, right? Uh, and and when, you, when you get the tower out of the box and you pull the box up, it's perfectly built. Right. The, the tower is perfectly built and it's got all the pieces just in the right place. That's sort of what our mind does as we get older. It, it builds this tower and everything's real nice and tidy and neat. Um, and, and, it's, and it's and it turns into a pretty concrete. It translates into a pretty concrete worldview. Um, but recent science has actually said that our brains are more rubberized. Even as adults, our brains are more rubberized than we than we had previously thought, um, the, the science behind it used to be once it was locked in, man, it was next to impossible to change it. But, but they're, fo- they, they found through some recent studies that not only can it be changed, but there's some specific ways to do that. Um, but Brian, I know you've, uh, and we can get into that in a, in a minute, but Brian, I know you've read a, a book recently that, that sort of has brought a lot of this, um, the forefront for you right yeah um there's a book
1: by michael pollan uh Mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of folks will be familiar with his book um the omnivore's dilemma um Mm -hmm. which talked about healthy and and kind of clean eating um in in the world that we live in where food is uh you know it's a corporate (laughs) kind of corporate project um and he's got a new book called how to change your mind um the title is actually much longer than that. Uh, the title of the book, <laughs> if you're ready, how to change your mind, what the new science of psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. <laughs> um, and one of the things they say in there, uh, about kind of about the default mode network. Um, mm-hmm. and I, uh, you know, we can talk about psychedelics later. Um, the book is all based in science, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, this guy has done a lot of research, has done studies, uh, is years in the making, um, and not just his own research, but studying other research that's currently going on mm-hmm. at, um, at, at Ivy League universities, at hospitals um, across the nation. Um, one, of the, one of the things uh, they've discovered about psychedelics in that setting, right? So mm-hmm. not a recreational setting. Um, but in a setting, um, in, an, in an office, is that it helps. Um, so the idea of grooves, right, like the Roman, uh, you know, those uh, old promenades, uh, mm-hmm. the use of psychedelics actually helps to uh, level the ground again. Um, so it yeah. eliminates. It resets it, right? It resets, eliminates the grooves, um, and gives folks the opportunity to think um, in, in brand new ways mm-hmm. ab- about decision-making. So um, when we talk about addictions, they talk about, um, talks about, uh, folks, uh, with alcoholism or with cigarettes that, um, mm-hmm. through the use of psychedelics, uh, or, or some sort of psychedelic e- experiment, um, or session experiments, probably the wrong, <laughs> the wrong word, right. But, um, <laughs> that folks are able to walk out and really have changed, right. um, the addiction um, to things like like that so this um, there's some great things going on but he really gets into the science of, of thinking um, and that sort of thing and one of the things that also happens in the default no- mode network mm-hmm. is um, our ability to think of all options or creative yeah. options or yeah. um, uh, the you know the various options that present our uh, present in this situation actually get eliminated yes. um and so where uh where we might think it's uh steak or chicken and this right. is overly <laughs> simplified right like yeah <laughs> where it's steak or chicken gosh um there's a lot of other options yes um that yeah. are before us right like uh you know you could have deer <laughs> yeah you could have fish um yep. but any of those other options uh essentially get eliminated and this happens like this begins to happen around age four or five. Yeah. Um, where our ability to think creatively and creatively come up with new solutions yeah. um, and new ideas or new decision-making, um, begins to end. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, we've, we've talked before. In fact, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago about like, I, you know, I got 35 years of, uh, yeah. Experience built into this. We, yeah. <laughs> that's <right. laughs> We have years and years of decision making um, that we lean on for new decisions, and it's healthy, right? Like yeah. um, the story you shared last week about the guy uh, with garbage on the top yeah. of his car, right? <clears throat> right. He got to the school <laughs> because he, that's, a, that's a path he's driven. That's his yeah. routine that morning was the same. He, he left the garbage on top of the car because of yeah. the very same thing. Yeah. Um, that was out of kind of sync. And so like the default mode network puts us in this, in this groove where even these little differences of like, I got to drop the garbage off. Yep. uh, Only get us so far.
0: (laughs) Yeah, There there was a study that was done a few years ago that was talking about um, how, uh, how creative the brain of a young child is as compared to the brain of a 40 year old. And again, it's all evolutionary, right? We we've limited the number of our choices so we can be more efficient about making choices. Yeah, that's right. Right? Yep. It, it's it's and what ends up happening is efficiency um, wins out over creativity, uh, <clears throat> in 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 the way our society is set up. And so uh, they they did this experiment where they had, um, gosh, I think there were a couple different things they did. One was making up words, uh, and uh, making up languages, and small children like four, five, six, seven could just make up words, right? Mm-hmm. That that were mm-hmm. that had no uh, similarity to existing words in their language. Whereas a forty-year-old had an incredibly difficult time <laughs> coming up with new words that didn't sound like words that were in their own language, right? right? Um, they also did it with um, it was they did it with problem solving, uh, and uh, uh they, they basically put a problem in and you know four-year-old could come up with a couple of solutions to the problem. Uh the the young child could come up with a myriad of solutions. Now a lot of them didn't make quote unquote sense, but they could come up with just a, a myriad of, of ideas and solutions and uh they could come up with all these different ways of of addressing that problem uh, that the adult had no ability, uh, absolutely no ability to, to, to come up with on their own. And, uh, basically what it showed was that although it helps us, uh, in regards to efficiency in our decision-making, what, what this, um, <clears throat> what this ultimately does is it harms us, uh, it harms us in our, uh, ability to be creative, to come up with new ideas and to, uh, think outside the box. It makes it much more difficult for adults to, to, to do that. So, and I think that, I think that hits exactly what, what you're saying with pollen's research, right? Yeah. So it's such good, good thoughts there, Stephen. The other um,
1: kind of metaphor that uh, bubbles up for me is, is the idea of like fundamentals in sport. Um, and I'm a big basketball fan. So let's talk about Steph Curry yeah. for a minute. Um, at the beginning of a Warriors game, um, yeah, you can see Steph on the sidelines practicing dribbling. Uh, sometimes it's one ball, sometimes it's two balls, but he's always practicing dribbling. Um, and he's shooting and, you know, doing layups, Mm -hmm. doing all that sort of stuff. Um, but you'll, you'll catch him dribbling and dribbling and dribbling and dribbling. This is, this is one of the best in the sport. Practicing the thing that you have to learn first right? Like (laughs) the very, very basic skill Mm -hmm. of the game, um, the best of the best continue to practice before every single game. Um, And I think, I think that is so similar um, to our ability or willingness, desire to think differently about things um, that are bubbling up or or coming up for us. Um, If we can practice Thinking about things from other people's perspectives or view or experience, Um, because I got to believe um, how you experience the world is much different than how I experience the world. Um, The things that you see, the things that you believe, the things that you understand, um, there are similarities. There are also differences. Um, If I can practice seeing things in the way that other people see things or experience things, um, it doesn't mean that their perspective is right or wrong. It also doesn't mean that my perspective is right or wrong. It just means that I, um, I'm considering what you have been through. Um, that the, the practice of that um, can lead us to redemption, can lead us to forgiveness, can lead us to um, actually thinking differently about what other people have experienced, thought, or gone through um, and, and lead us. Uh, to change our minds really.
0: Yeah. Because, because what that allows you to do, um, is it allows you to, you know, we only have a certain amount of bandwidth, um, in, in our, in our brain. And if, if we're, if, cause I'm not a great dribbler, right. I was playing basketball yesterday. Uh, I'm not a great dribbler. I'm, I'm a pretty good shooter, but I'm not a great dribbler. And so I have to focus, especially when I'm, when I'm, you know, one-on-one with somebody, I really do have to focus on dribbling, um, Because uh, if I don't, I'm going to lose the ball. But if you don't have to focus on it, you know, if, if, if you've got that where it's just second nature, you've got the muscle memory and it's just happening, then you you can focus on the movement of the court. You can focus on where you are in relation to the goal. You can focus on on the person that you're one on one with, how their body is shifting and you can see so much more if the dribbling is not even a part of the equation for you anymore. Um, I play racquetball. Uh, I love racquetball. And uh, when I first started playing racquetball, I ran into the wall all the time. Okay? I mean, I ran into the wall a lot because my brain had not... Because, you know, racquetball courts are standard standard size, right? And my brain had not locked the racquetball court, um, the dimensions of the racquetball court. It had not locked those dimensions in yet. And so uh, I would think the back wall is ten feet behind me. It was actually seven feet behind me, and I'd back into it and slam into it and knock my breath out, right? <laughs> or I'd be running to hit a shot, and I would go face first into the wall, right? And that hurt, man. Those walls are concrete, all right. They're, they they don't give. But once my brain locked in the dimensions, once I had spatial awareness of the of the racquetball court, I didn't have to think about that anymore, and and I I can be three inches from the back wall and know that I am three inches from the back wall, right? Um, instinctually know it. So then I don't have to worry about that. So I can then watch my, watch my opponent. And if my opponent's on the right side of the court, I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit a, a a really hard shot down the left side. So he's having to run back and forth across the court and I can, I can make him run instead of me having to worry about where I am. Um, you, you, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, we're sort of battling here, right? Because this this whole thing about locking it in uh is 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 crucial, is so important and and is a is a plays a key role into why we are here as human beings, why we have evolved, why we have gotten to the place that we're at. All right. So that so it's a crucial, crucial element uh in, in terms of our growth, that efficiency piece um, evolutionary efficiency. The, what we have got to do is I think we have to uh, assume a level of awareness where we look at our lives, look at the things that we think and our bias and, and, and the way we see the world. And we have to move into a discernment mode and, and decide, okay, what things are good? What things are good that they're locked in, right? And, and, and we can put those on the back burner and say, hey, that's great. That's locked in. That's awesome. You know, the, the sort of motor reflexes, you know, we're talking about racquetball and basketball and things, you know, good motor reflexes, all, all that kind of stuff. Great. I'm so glad those are locked in because those are pretty simple things, right? Those don't take uh, a lot of cognitive awareness. It, those, the, It's it's not a moral dilemma that I have to deal with to know the dimensions of my racquetball court, Right. It's not that complex. The things that are complex, though, things about race, things about sexuality, things about politics, things about um, morality and ethics, those sorts of things are the things I think we have to discern and say, okay, while we do have thoughts, opinions, ideas based on experience, um, let's hold those more loosely. and and I was I didn't grow up being taught that by the way, I was always taught you you know what your morals are and you hold on to those things tightly you know your stances and you hold on to those things tightly you got to be firm in your belief right, and I and and as as I've sort of grown and thought about it, I, I feel right the opposite now, because if it's if it's an issue of morality if it's an issue of ethics if it's an issue of um of of race or I mean all of these things are very complex. I need to know where I'm at, but I also need to be willing to engage that over and over again, Um, to to ask those hard questions. And when presented with new data, with new experiences, I've got to be willing to um, let those new experiences, and that new data speak to my worldview. Right. Um, Because if I don't, I lock in some things that may be that may be wrong. Um, and then those things become more and more ingrained because I, I surround myself with the people who also think those things, who also believe those things or practice those things. And then I get locked into it where the other is the enemy. And the only way that you can be my friend or, or be an acquaintance is if you have locked into these same ideals. And that's when we get stuck. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually saw a blog post this week
1: about... Um, <laughs> about why we used to take hats off. Oh, yeah. In the appropriate times <laughs> to remove your hat. Uh-huh. Um and and how offensive it is now that we don't practice those same same things. Um, oh, how interesting. Which is uh which is fine. Like the reasons we we took hats off in the past um were we're fine at the time. Right? Right? Um uh you know Back in in the Western Western times, Western days, and, and some people still live that. But um like the collection of a hat or the purchase of a hat was a big deal. Like you you didn't mm-hmm. you, you just didn't touch another man's hat. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> right. Just that alone uh, would be offensive. Um but but what, what it stands to say is the world is gonna change. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not we change. Yeah. Um, yep. and if we want, um, to be, um, I think it's as simple, if we want to be present in the current culture and in the current world, um, if we want to feel relevant or make a difference, um, we have to be willing to change. Yeah. It doesn't mean that suddenly, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't mean we throw all our, our morals or our understanding out the door, um, That's right. but it, does mean we're open to something yeah. new. Um, if not, if not, we're going to be left in, left in the past and we're going to yeah. be, uh, you know, thinking,
0: why do you have your hat on inside the mall? What, what right. is it happening? <laughs> What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Um, our society is decaying and falling apart in front of my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sunny, but you're wearing a hat. Um, yeah, yeah, we have to, we just have
1: to, we have to be willing, um, to change and adapt. Um, to what to the change that's happening around us
0: yeah and, and and the voice that's whispering in my ear is is Stephen ingram of um 20, 20 plus years ago when i was 16 17 and i had everything figured out um and the 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 that voice is whispering in my ear but isn't that moral relativism <laughs> isn't that eth- isn't that isn't that just ethical relativism does it? Doesn't that just mean anytime the wind blows one way, you just go with it? And and the answer is no, no, it's it's not that. You you you. This is not saying you don't have things you think, or you don't have beliefs, or you don't have um, places where you where you say, hey, this is this is where I am. I have a firm conviction about this at this moment. But the key is at this moment. Um, uh, it, yeah. How, yeah. So why, why are you thinking, um, because.
1: Those decisions, those those morals, those understandings are based on current experiences. That's right. Um, and our experience is gonna change tomorrow. Yes. And what yep. we don't want is our decisions for tomorrow to be um, solely locked into experiences of the past That's right. that no longer no longer fit what we're currently experiencing. That, That's exactly right. right. Like that's where it presents problems is that we may actually have new experiences to tell us something different. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And yet our decision is made on something of the past. And and we talked about forgiveness um, before. I think maybe that's an example um, that we can use that people can relate to really quickly
0: is um,
1: the lack of forgiveness. um, If we do that enough, if we we refuse to forgive enough, um, that becomes so ingrained um will keep a chip you know chip on our shoulder uh we're a little you know i don't know terse with those people uh maybe Mm -hmm. maybe we cut a family member off completely right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. where now uh, maybe somebody has forgiven us or we have some reason um to dig into to to forgiving somebody uh big or small whatever whatever um but our experience says no
0: yeah
1: don't forgive you'll feel better if you don't forgive Um, but for whatever reason, uh, we have some new experience that's prompting Mm -hmm. us to live differently. The challenge is to overcome all of that non-forgiveness, um, to be forgiving and find freedom, um, from the pain or the hurt. Um, maybe, maybe that's helpful. Um, but that's where the challenge is. It's not that we disregard our own understanding, our own morals, our own perspective, um, but it's that chances are we have some new experiences that would lead us to a different outcome. Um, we've got to push away all those old experiences that lead us to an outcome that's no longer relevant to the world that we're in.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Back back in graduate school, I did a lot of work in this realm. Yeah, uh, I, I spent a lot of uh, a lot of hours um, studying and working through these ideas, and I, I especially focused on um, Jean Piaget's uh, work. Um, uh, Piaget was uh, late uh, uh, late nineteenth century, um, early twentieth century, uh, and and especially his work on assimilation versus accommodation. Mm. Uh, and so the, the idea here is, and, and maybe this is helpful in terms of how we think about changing our mind, right? And how we know what things, how we know what things in terms of discernment to leave uh, a little more rubber or plastic and what things are a little more concrete, right? So, so the idea there is when we, when we change our mind, it usually happens something along this pattern, the first thing is that there's exposure, and by the way, this can be passive or this can be aggressive, uh, or, or intentional. Passive is you're exposed to something and it throws you into cognitive dissonance, and you have to figure some things you have to figure some things out. Um, or you can be intentional about these steps I'm about to give. And you can make sure you are in experiences where you are exposed to new things. You're exposed to things that, that challenge you. You're exposed to things that maybe push against your, your norm. So, so you can think about all of this both as passive or intentional. So the first one is exposure. There has to be some sort of experiential exposure that would put your current view or understanding in limbo or at least on a less solid foundation. So this whole idea of change starts with an experience or, or, or a new data point or knowledge that, um, that pushes against your current understanding of the world. And, and that exposure, generally experiential, right? Because experience speaks louder than anything else. Um, uh, generally, that exposure will then create some sort of level of cognitive dissonance um and so basically cognitive dissonance if you're not familiar with that term it's it's when we have two views on something that are in direct contradiction of one another um and uh and and we're aware of that difference right i mean there's (laughs) there there are some people uh who uh who aren't aware uh, of, of, of having two views. Uh, there's that classic example of, um, the person who, l- l- you know, is, is, uh, living in a trailer, uh, and they're on, um, they're on, uh, all this government assistance, uh, they're, they're, you know, getting government checks for healthcare and for, uh, uh, you know, uh, disability and, and, uh, unemployment and all this, but yet they fight vehemently against um, social welfare programs right although they're the recipients of them right, right? that's right. that's kind of a classic example of that. so you've got to be aware of the of the difference but but basically now because of experience you've got two contradicting views you've got your worldview and this new thing you've experienced which then leads us into Piaget's work with assimilation versus accommodation because you have you have two things you can do at this point. the first one is you can assimilate the experience um, that doesn't work with your, with your worldview. And when you assimilate that experience, you, you, you simply say, Oh, that's an anomaly. That's an outlier. That doesn't change my understanding of the world. Right. I, I, um, I, I knew this kid in youth group one time who thought all homeless people were bums, all homeless people were bums. They're, they're alcoholics or drug users. They don't want to work, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that was his worldview. And he uh, he was on a mission trip, met a bunch of homeless people. And he said, yeah, uh, and he met them, got to know one was a, a computer scientist who uh, had come on some bad luck. His company shut down, blah, blah, blah. He lost his job. He ended up homeless. A couple of these stories that that completely blew up his stereotype. <clears throat> but here's what he decided to do. He decided to assimilate those people into his worldview where he said, well, those are anomalies. That That's not the majority of people, right? Or the second thing we can do is we can accommodate an experience. Uh, and, and when we accommodate an experience, we say that our existing worldview uh, does not work any longer because of this new knowledge or this new experience. And because of that, I've got to change my worldview in order to accommodate what I now know, right? And so we... we in, in, the way we continue to work and make our minds more rubber. And, and I would say intentional awareness, those would be the w- uh, words I, I would use is that we have to continually put ourselves in situations that provoke cognitive dissonance and then allow honest reflection and awareness. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we have to, we have to, one of the reasons why I love to travel because it puts me in situations where I have to reevaluate my worldview constantly, uh, in an immersive way. Yeah. I had, a,
1: an experience <clears throat> in Bethlehem, um, with a, a woman, a shop owner, um, who, uh, you know, took us in, uh, and, mm-hmm. and f- you need to know, this is a, you know, like Palestinian territory, right? Um, yeah. A shop owner, a wall, a walled in oh, Palis- oh. <laughs> Palestinian territory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and her shop, the wall was across the street uh um, yeah. right so no no grass no no place to like play yeah. right, right like that close yeah. um and uh she took us in kind of showed us around the shop uh but then told us the story of her husband um who had to uh right travel um through the wall through security and was not always allowed to go back and forth lost his job right. as a result um uh that kind of paired you know, with a few other things. They couldn't use the third story of their house. The shop was first floor. Their house, then, right, like kitchen, living room, right. second floor, bedrooms, third floor. Yeah. Um, the bedroom windows were just higher than the wall. Um, wow. You're not allowed to be above the wall. Um, that is a crime for which you can be shot. Um, wow. So their bedrooms, right? Their bedrooms are off yeah. limits. Um, they, they had agree. to empty that space and move beds down to kitchen, living room area. Um, yeah. So just having that experience uh, I, and, and using that terminology, right? Um, yeah. was a, uh, allowed me to think differently, um, accommodate yeah. um, a new understanding for what happened um, because the wall is paid for by US tax dollars. Um, right. right, so like, <laughs> ooh, now yes. there's a new implication um, yeah. The pain and experience, the loss of a job, uh, a, a, an 11 year old boy who was forced no longer to, to be able to go to school but to keep the shop yeah. open to support the family um, yeah. I I, pay, I paid for that yeah right right I, yeah. I, 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 can, I contributed to that yeah. um, So it, uh, that gave me some space to think think differently to have a new understanding. Um, yeah. and I can actually say, um, that my experience, uh, in throughout Israel, mm-hmm. um, that when I was in Palestinian territories, the level of yeah. hospitality, um, yes, the level of welcoming, the level of friendliness far exceeded, um, anything I had ever um, yes. expected or experienced yep. in other places throughout Israel. Um, yeah. And some people, some people would be like, "You are wrong," uh, but right. but that's what I experienced, and I may have thought uh, that that would not be true yeah. before I went right.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's funny you bring up that part of the world because when I look back at my life and I think, what was the first time that this that this truly happened to me, where where my worldview was completely shattered um, and I had to reconstruct it. It was, it was in Jordan and Syria. Mm-hmm. It was the same, same part of the world. Um, uh, you know, Growing up American Christian, you're probably going to be pro-Israeli, um, um, uh, especially in the South, right? Of there, Especially yep. in, in the past 20, 30 years. It's been much more Zionist in, in, in terms of how we, how we kind of go about that. Um, but I remember going to – I spent a month in Jordan and Syria, And um, I experienced the exact same thing with hospitality. I experienced those same kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, I experienced um, uh, uh, children living in these Palestinian refugee camps who were playing in in sewage um, uh, because it was running open in the street. Um, I experienced all these things, and it blew up my worldview. I was 19 at the time. Uh, and it completely shattered my worldview. And truthfully, and that was the first time I'd ever even traveled uh, overseas. Uh, and, and truthfully, it set me up. I, I really believe that one trip and that experience, that formative experience set me up for the rest of my life to desire my understandings and my worldviews to be challenged. Yeah. I went back to, I went, went to Israel um, back about five years ago and I, Bro, I feel like I know the place you're talking about, um, because because uh, when I was in Bethlehem, I, I had those same kinds of experiences. Yeah, yep. When I was in Jericho on the West Bank, I had those same kinds of experiences. Um, and and again, he, and here's here's one thing I'm going to push back on you that you said, you said that experience allowed me. I'm going to flip that on you. You allowed that experience there you go. to change yeah, you. Yeah, but because what you could have done. Is you could have said, well, you know what, uh, that that might that might be the case for this woman, but that's not the case for most people, or or you know there there's something shady about this. You you could have rationalized and reasoned that away, and a lot of people do, right? A lot of people do, and that's where we have to be aware and allow those things to speak to us. Um, to, to, to talk to us and to talk to our worldview instead of having a, a you know, just talking about a wall, instead of having a, a big wall in front of it and not allowing it to affect us uh, in, in, in any way. That's exactly right. Um, well, I am, yeah.
1: uh, you know, after this conversation, Stephen, I, I am convinced uh, that I cannot <laughs> change anyone else's mind. Uh, I'm also convinced uh, that my mind can be changed. Uh, which is a good place a good place for us to be Um, and and this week we received uh, some comments and questions uh, about this topic from our friends on social media
0: yeah absolutely you know each week we spend some time in the show sharing your the listening audience's ideas and questions about this week's topic Uh, if you'd like to hear your ideas or questions on the show uh, uh, please interact with us on social media, on Facebook at This One Good Life. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram and work with us there, uh, This One Good Life, or you can email us, info at thisonegoodlife.com. Uh, and, you know, we had several um, several folks uh, engage with us on social media this week, as we always do. And, and again, uh, everyone, we're so grateful when you do this. Um, the question we put out this week was, when is a time uh, your mind has been totally changed on something. Um, and Taryn says, and Taryn's a, a, a woman. I met her, she and her husband, they three kids. Uh, when we were uh, in Scandinavia uh, this summer, they were on the same boat as us. And uh, we ended up spending a ton of time together. Uh, they're awesome, awesome couple uh, and great kids. And they travel all over the world with their kids. Uh, Taryn says, my mind and judgment about parenting has totally changed uh, after having kids. <laughs> and man, I I when she put that, I was like, man, I don't know if there are uh, many parents who would argue with that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, uh, John, John, John says,
1: uh, when I was converted from religion of fear and a God of vengeance, uh, to the God of grace and love. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No longer are we, uh, divisive at that point, right? Yeah. No longer is it, uh, right and wrong. Um, yeah, but it is, uh, right and wrong don't matter anymore it's about redemption yeah right yeah it's, yep, that's right totally different different thing
0: um you know another person direct messaged me on on uh on facebook uh i i don't think it was out of secrecy or anything uh it was just uh it was a much longer kind of conversation that i think a, a comment on a post um uh really allowed for but he said uh, there there wasn't a specific moment when my mind changed on homosexuality uh, but my thinking evolved over time, uh, he said. I grew up in a home that was, uh, where I was taught that homosexuality was a horrible sin and that people chose the, that path of sinfulness. He said. However, my thinking has changed as I've gotten to know homosexuals and and dug deeper. And he says in, into the into the Bible. Um, But uh, knowing him and and us talking is digging deeper into the Bible, digging deeper into those friendships, digging deeper into uh, psychology and sociology and human development. Uh, I know this guy uh, really well, and he's he's just a a fantastic guy. But he illustrates there one of the one of the really big uh, places, especially people uh, who are 50 and up and up. Right. One, a, a, a really big place of, of change uh, for so many folks who are in that kind of um, boomer X generation, uh, uh, Gen X and boomer, um, more so boomer uh, have, have um, you know, that that's been a huge place of, of change and and uh, a huge point of contention and growth as and he mentions later on in his conversation with me. Um, he mentions that for for his generation it's been homosexuality for his parents generation it was the issue of change on on race on how mm-hmm. we understand race and and, and um, how we do that societally what well, cracks me up he says this is this is superficial but you get the idea yeah uh, <laughs> it makes me wonder what what would be deep <laughs> <laughs> this guy's anything but superficial he is <laughs> he is an insanely thoughtful guy um, so cool uh, and consider myself lucky to have him as a friend. So, uh, but yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's so, you know, when we have experiences, we have the ability to, um, we have the ability to choose to assimilate or accommodate when we have personal experiences. But I also think that when we hear the stories of others, uh, when we hear the stories of others, that gives us the ability as well, uh, to say, okay, I know this person. And, and I love them, and I know who they are, and I know who they are in this world, and I trust that. And they've had an experience. And because of their experience and because I trust them, I've got to re-evalu- reevaluate my own experience because of what they experienced. And that's, right. that's the reason why community is so important, and especially diverse community uh, is so important as well. Um, well, listen, thank you all uh, for, for those incredible comments and questions on, on social media. Uh, we, we love engaging with you all last week, and we'd love to hear from you this week as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, next week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know there's another simple way to say that, uh, <laughs> but really... Just simplicity yeah. um, as it relates to life and our uh, our daily living. Yeah. Um and we'd love to hear from you all on our social media feeds, especially on Facebook at this one good life, or through email at uh, info at this onegoodlife.com or on the Instagram
0: yeah. at this one good life. <laughs> <laughs> there there I feel a like surprise? there's a pattern there maybe. <laughs> and finally this week we will dive into some of mine and Brian's recommendations for you all.
1: Yeah, this is a time where uh, we share some of the good stuff we're discovering in our lives uh, that we hope will add beauty and goodness to yours. Um, this week, Stephen, yeah. you've got a couple. I've got two. Um, what do you What do you have for us?
0: Yeah, so uh, you were talking about Michael Pollan uh, earlier, and um, uh, you know the thing that the first time I came across that uh, the book was actually not the book. Um, he had a great uh, 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 interview on NPR. Uh, with Fresh Air uh, on the Fresh Air show and uh, uh, where he talks about the book. He talks about the findings in the book and and a a lot of this, um, uh, again, just this question of how our minds are changed. And so um, I'll put a link uh, to that as one of my recommendations, that NPR interview on uh, on Fresh Air. Really, really great interview. Um, And to hear them kind of dig into that uh, through, through narrative is, is really nice. Uh, and then the second interview, uh, the second recommendation, uh, this week is, uh, it's not a book. So I'm, I'm a second week in a row where I've not uh, recommended a book. Um, go, I, I'm going to challenge you, uh, as, as someone who's listening to this podcast, I'm going to challenge you this week to go and put yourself in a situation where your worldview is challenged. And in that situation, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to practice awareness. Uh, A lot of times when we are in a situation where our worldview is challenged, it's very easy to put up defensive walls and to try to block um, those um, experiences that contradict our current worldview. Um, I would, I would encourage you to kind of lower those walls and, and let that situation speak to you. Um, It's not necessarily going to change your whole mind about it, but what it will do is it will make the issue more complex. Um, which then, which, which then leads to that whole idea of cognitive dissonance. So go put yourself in a situation where, where your worldview is challenged, observe it, try not to judge it, observe it, let it speak to you and, and see what you can learn. Um, see what you can learn from that situation, not just facts and figures, and, but see what you can emotionally learn from that situation. And we'd love to hear uh, from you if, if you go and do that this week. We'd love to hear from you and kind of how that how that speaks to you, how that changes you, What how, how did that experience um, affect you um, and sort of the way you see the world. Brian, what about you? Yeah, so I've got two. One, of course, is um, How to Change Your Mind
1: uh, by Michael Pollan. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a professor at Harvard, um, has been there, gosh, uh, I'm probably going to get his bio wrong, but for like 20 years. Um, yeah, he also yeah, he's writes been a long for, time for the New York times, um, for, uh, the post. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. It has a whole series of books. Most of them are about yeah. food. Um, but, uh, yep. this one is about, about the mind. Um, and, and let's be clear, I'm not, I'm not recommending uh, that anyone go out and do psychedelics, <laughs> uh, but I am recommending right. <laughs> uh, that you read this book about the science yeah. of psychedelics, um, and their impact on our world. Um, I listen to it on audible. Um, and he mm-hmm. is the voice. He reads the book to you. Um, oh, cool. I, I tend to lean to audible books when it's the author that reads the book. Um, yeah. Because the just, they know the, um, inflections, they know the tone, they know the pacing. Yep. And as he shares some of his stories, he's telling his stories as opposed to just reading the yeah. story about somebody else. Um, so, uh, at some point, it will be cheap on my Amazon list and I'll pick it up so I can go back and make some notes. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. But in the meantime, um, audible, uh, was a good choice for that one. And I have a second recommendation, um, Steven, because you mentioned Jenga and I cannot help, um, anytime somebody mentions Jenga to think of this video, um, where they had used Jenga blocks to build Uh the leaning tower of Pisa um, oh, nice. And there's, uh, there's a, and it's probably about 10 years ago, too. Um, but there is a reporter um, who was interviewing the guy who built it. And mm-hmm. the guy who built it kind of like, you know, pushes the microphone cable away. Um, and the reporter kind of pulls on the microphone cable. Um, and you can assume what happens. Oh, uh, so, no. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, you know, it's just a fun little video. It's goofy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it made me think of it when you mentioned jenga uh, pieces. Uh, nice. So there we go. Uh, have a laugh at some somebody else's cost. Uh, I don't. That no longer is a good recommendation, is it? <laughs> I love it so
0: much. <laughs> 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 oh, well, each week we give you our best recommendations on this week's topic, and we would love to hear from you and your best recommendations for our listening audience. So if you have any uh, that you want to share, uh, please email those to us at info at this onegoodlife.com and we may feature them on next week's show. Yeah,
1: you know, that just about does it uh, for this week's episode. We're so grateful that you've chosen Choising? We're so grateful that you're chosen to join us. Um, yeah, we're so grateful you've chosen to join us for this podcast.
0: Yeah, and you, usually we end uh, we end the podcast with a, a great quote from William Yates, but uh, this week with the, uh, with the passing of, of just a prolific, beautiful voice in our world, a poet, a writer, uh, Mary Oliver. Uh, we decided to, to end uh, with a little tribute to her uh, and a, uh, a quote that, that fits this One Good Life podcast just as well as any. Tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. See you next week.